0: Hi, and welcome to Finding Your Way Through Therapy. I am your host, Steve Bisson. I'm an author and mental health counselor. Are you curious about therapy? Do you feel there is a lot of mystery about therapy? Do you wonder what your therapist is doing and why? The goal of this podcast is to make therapy and psychology accessible to all by using real language and straight-to-the-point discussions. This podcast wants to remind you to take care of your mental health, just like you would your physical health. Therapy should not be intimidating, it should be a great way to better health. I will demystify what happens in counseling, discuss topics related to mental health and discussions you can have with your therapist. I also want to introduce psychology in everyday life, as I feel most of our lives are enmeshed in psychology. I want to introduce the subtle and not so subtle ways psychology plays a factor in our lives. It will be my own mix of thoughts as well as special guests. So join me on this discovery of therapy and psychology. Hi, and welcome to episode 19 of Finding Your Way Through Therapy. I'm Steve. If you haven't listened to episode 18, it's all about music and how it affects our mental health, and I hope you get a chance to listen to that. But today, I will be meeting with Sarah Terpstra. Sarah is a money coach, and she helps people eliminate financial stress and build lifelong financial security in 90 days, so they can spend guilt-free without a restrictive budget. She'll coach anyone to set up priorities as well as goals. She is a mother of three girls under six, and she loves to travel with her husband. She really tries to make saving money fun and has a Facebook group that I will absolutely link in the show notes. And I also know that she has her own story that she's going to want to share with us as to what made her get to this journey in her life. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I know that uh, you are too, so let's just jump to it. Welcome, everyone, to episode 19. Episode 19 is going to be a very interesting conversation with Sarah Terpstra. We're going to talk a little bit about how a money coach can help us, even with our own issues with mental health and all the stress that can come from money, because that's what we're really facing on a regular basis. So, you heard me in the intro. I talked about. I gave you the Sarah's bio, but Ultimately, I want to get to know Sarah. So Sarah, welcome to our uh, episode 19 of Finding Your Way Through Therapy.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Steve.
0: It's interesting because I I love meeting people through Instagram and not knowing anything about them. And what I mean by that is it's very helpful to get to know someone this way because it's on the same level. So how about you tell me a little bit about yourself and where you live, where you've been and uh, all that fun stuff.
1: For sure. Yeah, it's kind of hard to get to know someone when you have a limited amount of characters on on Instagram. So, I'm Sarah. I'm 26 years old. I've been married for 7 years. My husband, he's an accountant. I have a 5-year-old, a 3-year-old, and a 1-year-old who's sitting behind me. If you hear any chirping, that's probably her.
0: <laughs> We're good with that. We're good with
1: that. <laughs> yeah, my husband and I love to travel and we've been all over the place. Our 5-year anniversary, we spent in Ireland. So, We've crossed the pond once together, and that's something that's a passion of ours. We live in rural Minnesota, so up in the sticks we call it. We like to go hiking and spend a lot of times by a lake and on the water, and that's something that we we very much enjoy.
0: So water's your thing. Well, I'm a cancer, so water is definitely my thing. In your travels, have you have you found yourself to get closer to your husband? Do you enjoy the travels with your husband because sometimes that can be a headache for some people.
1: We do. No, my husband and I love to spend time together. He actually, he works less than a mile from our house. So oftentimes during the week, he'll come home on his lunch break. And so we can have lunch together. And we went on our first trip together. We went on a road trip to California from Minnesota after we'd been dating for about six months. And and before we went on that, it was kind of, I was told by my family, like, this will probably make or break you. Like if you can handle a road trip cross country with a man, you can probably handle anything that comes your way together. <laughs>
0: So, after 5 years of marriage, I guess it worked out.
1: <laughs> yes, 7 actually.
0: 7, wow, 7 years together. Okay. Well, I'm I'm happy that it worked out for you. And rural Minnesota, how is that living there cuz I I lived in rural Vermont. I'm sure it's a very different animal to live in rural Minnesota though.
1: Yeah, well, you know, in the winter time, we're pretty much locked in our houses for about 2 weeks. Last year, we had a a winter vortex come down from the Arctic in Canada. So it was 30 to 40 below zero for about two weeks. So you don't want to leave your house for more than two minutes at a time or you'll get frostbite.
0: (laughs) See, I'm from Montreal and most people think that that's what happens in Montreal most of the time. Like, Mm -hmm. no, that's Minnesota. That's Saskatchewan. Blame Saskatchewan. And we don't do anything (laughs) like that in Montreal. We're very... Tempered. We have those those freezing days here and there, but we're much more temperate. So, yes. I I always like when they they talk about the Arctic vortex. They recently changed it. It Used to be the Canadian vortex, and I'm like, why blame Canada for everything? (laughs) Yes. So we go on a journey we in our lives, all of us, and you know. So you you are now married. You have three kids. You're happy. You're living in rural, and now you're a money coach. How do we get from being in rural Minnesota to become a money coach?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question, isn't it? So I grew up, I didn't have a whole lot of financial knowledge. And my husband and I started dating right after I graduated high school, and he was going to school to become an accountant. So he and he was raised with sound financial principles. And my parents did put me through, um, I don't know if you've heard of Dave Ramsey, but he's a big financial guru in the States. And so I went through his financial peace university as a senior in high school, and the thing that really stuck out to me was living a debt free life and not being indebted to anyone. So, when I went off to college, I was determined that I was going to at least spend my first year and not be in any debt by the end of my first year of college. So, then my husband and I started dating at that time. And he had, well, after, and so we dated for a year and then we got married. And after we were married, my history growing up with money started to come out in my behaviors. I was continuing to spend money even when we weren't working because we were in college. And after my husband got a job, he said, you know, since you do the majority of the spending, you know, my husband's a saver and I was the spender. And he said, since you do the majority of the spending, I think it would be good for you just to look at at, at our expenses and the money comes in and maybe try to, keep, try to keep track of that. So just, you know, an encouraging nudge in the direction, not outright saying, hey, stop spending my money but (laughs) general nudge in that direction. So I did. And once I started building that awareness and writing things down, like, Hey, we spent this much money on groceries. We spent this much money on going out to eat. Maybe we have some room to cut corners in that regard. And that's kind of sparked some, it sparked something in me. I started to grow this obsession I was in my sophomore year of college at that point. So from that point forward, I took every accounting course that my school offered. I took every personal finance course. I was taking business. So I ended up with a four-year degree from the University of Minnesota, Morris, which is another, it's a very academic uh, university that's, you know, kind of on a cow farm. And so (laughs) you'll be out at one of the, at one of the sports arenas and all you can smell is cow. (laughs) <laughs> and it's amazing how, how academic that, that place was. I, I very much enjoyed it. And from there, I started to dabble in entrepreneurialism after we had my, my oldest, my first daughter, because I wanted more out of life. I wanted more than just living to pay bills, living to pay childcare expenses, living to pay daycare. And so I really became a money coach because I wanted to be financially free. I wanted to give my kids a life that I didn't have. And I wanted to, and after I achieved some financial freedom, I wanted to share that with people because it's like, there's this whole other world out there that people don't even know of because they're so used to having a car payment and a house payment. And they're so used to having a phone payment every month. And once I had been on the other side of that veil, and that veil was lifted, it was just like, there is so much more to life than paying your bills every month.
0: Well, I think that that's a hard lesson for a whole lot of people, especially when you look at, I would say the last 20 years where consumerism has become God. So how do we convince someone that you only lift your depression for a short amount of time if you go buy that shirt?
1: Yes. Yes, I see retail therapy is a huge thing. It was something that I once subscribed to, but now it's it's more than than just spending money. Because what I found is that when you make when you earn a paycheck, you're trading your time for money, right? Your time and effort, and time is something that you have a limited amount of. You only have so much time in your life, and if you're trading that for a paycheck, and then you go and take your paycheck and you just spend it on whatever sounds good in the moment then you're basically trading your time and effort for nothing, for something that doesn't last, for something that is not a good investment. And when you can see that, you can be like, okay, I don't want to go spend $200 on makeup this month because first of all, I already have makeup. And I would rather put that money towards investing for retirement or towards our next trip to Mexico.
0: Well, I already hear like people like listening to this and going, what does she know? I need $200 of makeup. What is she talking about? <laughs> so how does someone really change that thought process? Because I'll never be a fashion model by any stretch of the imagination because t-shirts last 10 years with me. Mm-hmm. But I know that that's just how I kind of grew up and it's normal. How do we tell someone that getting the late, latest model, the model or the latest lipstick, the latest whatever, is not necessarily what is in the best interest of you, despite that you feel good for a short amount of time.
1: Yeah. So I think just looking back at the history of humanity, like what do you need to survive? You need a roof over your head. You need some food on your table. You need some clothes on your back. You don't need to have the latest Gucci model of pants. You don't need to have the most recent model of Audi that has been produced. You don't need like those, those are luxuries. Those are wants. And I differentiate between a need and anything that's not a need, I see it as a luxury, not just a want. It's not just, you know, whatever it's, it, that is a luxury. If you don't need it, it's a luxury. And that's something that's kind of hard to come to grips with. And it starts with just raising awareness around what are you spending on? What are you buying? And then once you have that awareness, you can look at, okay, is this a need? Do I need this to survive until next month? Or is this a luxury? Is this something that I could put off a couple of months? Is it something that I could wait until Black Friday to purchase? Is it something that I could wait until next year to purchase? That sort of thing.
0: Delayed gratification. Is that what you're saying?
1: (laughs) Yes. In so many words.
0: (laughs) But I like delay. You know, I think that that's a hard lesson for just about anything, not just money. But in general, I think people struggle with delayed gratification we've come to a world where if I did want to get the latest Gucci pants and no, you'll never catch me in those. <laughs> but if I ever wanted them, all I have to do is go to Gucci.com or whatever their website is. I'm not trying to plug anything here and go get them. So how do we resist that impulse, that control? Because I think that thinking long-term is one thing, but if I'm feeling like, no, I, I got the money, I got this bonus and I'm going to spend the money now versus waiting for a trip or whatever. How do we convince someone to wait?
1: Right. So in my coaching program, I like to start off with taking a 10,000 foot view of your life and starting to visualize what do you want your life to look like and what do you want to have? What do you want to do? What does the 10,000, if you were to be up in an airplane, 10,000 feet above the world, and you look down and you see your life from that perspective, what do you want it to look like? What's important to you? And thinking about your priorities, right? So if you're, for example, I'm a mom and moms love their coffee. Now I don't necessarily like coffee that much, but I know that there are a lot of moms do. So some of them interview over
0: if you don't like coffee, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, just kidding. Just kidding.
1: For sure. So if, going to Starbucks and getting a cup of coffee is that's important to you. You can find a way to prioritize that and to make room for that. And that's why a lot of money coaches, they use budgets. I don't use a budget. I've used what I call a spending plan. And this is something that in your head, when, when we think about a budget, we feel restricted immediately. We think I can't go out with my friends. I can't go buy makeup. I can't go out to Starbucks. That was, those are immediately the feelings that are brought up because that's what a budget is. But when I use a spending plan, it subconsciously tells you that you still get to spend money. You are just giving your money some direction and some intentionality behind it. And so when you can do that, yeah. For sure, still go to Starbucks. Give yourself a hundred bucks a month you can spend at Starbucks guilt-free and don't feel bad about it. It's just (laughs) because that that that's something that happens, right? You know, if you go to Starbucks and all of the financial gurus out there, they say you know cut out that daily coffee, make your coffee at home. Well, sometimes a cup of coffee at home just is not as satisfying as a cup of coffee from Starbucks or Caribou. If you're from the Midwest, we love our Caribou here.
0: (laughs) I wish we had Caribou around here, that and Tim Hortons, but. Please go on.
1: It is so good, and I don't even like coffee that much.
0: But yes, yeah, so I get it. It's great. I, it's a good idea to think about a spending plan. I like that, and you know, your idea of a ten thousand uh, feet view of your life. I like all that. Just want to remind everyone we're on uh, finding your way through therapy. I'm Steve. I'm sitting here with Sarah. We're talking about money, and I think that the next good question that I want to really bring up is. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how financial stress can affect people's mental health, because I think that that's one of the things that we are very much underestimating sometimes that some of our actions is due to financial stress and affects our, you know, creates anxiety, creates depression, sometimes trauma for that matter. So can you speak a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So I think that both financial stress affects your mental health and mental health also affects The stress that you have about your finances. What I've seen with my clients is that financial stress primarily affects your relationships. If you're stressed about money, you're going to be a lot more reactive. You're going to probably yell at your kids more frequently, probably yell at your husband, feel a little bit more strain in those relationships. And it might even color the way that you treat your extended family and your extended friends. Like you might start to resent your friend who always suggests you go out for beers on Friday night after work because you know, that costs a lot of money. And when you're stressed about money, you know, it can color your relationships. There can be some resentment that grows there. And I kind of mentioned this, but it causes you when you're stressed about your money, it causes you to be more reactive instead of being proactive. So when things happen to you, you're kind of operating from an empty cup, both literal and figurative. (laughs) And that, that affects you more because when you don't when you feel like you don't have anything left to give or nothing left to spend then everything feels so much bigger events are are more impactful and it hurts more versus when you tell yourself i don't need that i don't that's not something that's important to me that's not something i prioritize i have enough money to have my needs met month to month and you feel complete in that then that can help you just to mitigate some of that stress that comes with your finances. It's just telling yourself, I have enough money to get my needs met. I might have to forego some luxuries here and there, but that's okay because those aren't important to me right now.
0: And I think that that's where, you know, you talked about a great word. I like resentment because it does really create resentment in other people. And the other thing that I find is that people look at it as a comparison thing, keeping up with the Joneses or the smiths or whatever they call it this week at the end of the day do you think that the comparison also is part of the financial stressors that some people feel joe goes to starbucks all the time so obviously i gotta go to starbucks all the time or they're going they're going to eat at sonic and obviously we need to go to sonic do you think that the comparison also plays a huge factor with that resentment and other stuff that impacts your mental health and your finances
1: I absolutely do. I absolutely think that it's a cultural thing to want to go out and spend your money and tailgate football parties, and there's a lot of a lot of money that goes into those things. I mean, if you're planning to host, especially a host of football game, tailgate party, you're going to probably spend fifty to a hundred bucks each time, and if you do that weekly, that's four hundred bucks a month.
0: And just for the record, it costs about seventy dollars to park at Gillette for the New England Patriots game. If you go to a UMass oh my game. Goodness like free because it's UMass. But yeah, so it, even in a, on the East Coast, if you go tailgate in any of the big stadiums, you're looking at just a park, it's going to cost you money.
1: Wow, that's crazy. So yeah, if, if we think about comparison, I think that is is an external thing. It's an external factor. Your friends are going out, so you have to go out. And if you start to look inside and say, you know, do my my friends love me? My friends want me to To succeed in life. Maybe if I were to suggest we come over and just share a cup of coffee together or have one round of drinks at my house, instead of going out and spending a hundred dollars at the bar, that can be something too. So it's, it's taking an external factor like culture and comparison and things that you want and things that other people have that you feel like you need to have. And then turning that introspectively looking inside of yourself and saying, do I really need this? Is this something that's important to me? Do I really want to continue doing this? And if you do, then you need to find space in your spending plan and cut four hundred dollars out somewhere else so that you can continue hosting tailgate parties or bringing a massive platter of food to someone else's tailgate party. yeah,
0: and uh, you know it's funny, I did a episode on people pleasing, and it's sometimes that's what happens, right? We want to please other people, so we get that extra food. We'd go the extra mile. But we're not really pleasing ourselves. We're not pleasing our financial needs and all that, which kind of brings me to a little bit about the mental health again and talking about, do you feel that when we are able to set those boundaries, we might lose friends and that would affect our mental health too? Or do you think about it differently? Or what's your thoughts on that?
1: I think it can. I think it varies on circumstance to circumstance. Ideally, if your friends love you and respect you and want to see you succeed, then they will be behind you and they will encourage you and they will say, okay, yeah, so you don't want to spend this much money. Let's do this instead. Versus if you have more of a superficial friendship or you guys just aren't that close and they, they really value going out and getting drunk over spending time together then there could be some friendships lost there and that could play into mental health. However, I will say that people are on average, the average of the five people they spend the most time with. So if you spend a lot of time with people who just spend their money and and don't even give it a second thought and just do things flippantly, then you're probably more likely to do the same thing. And it's going to be a lot harder for you to save money than if you were to find someone who saves money and puts money towards retirement and saves for taking trips debt free and is paying off their debt then you'll you're going to be a lot more likely to be like those people who are saving money and doing things debt free and able to plan for an early retirement
0: i really likened it to fear of not you know of others like basically saying well i'm going to set some boundaries or going to do things like that And it certainly is difficult when you're leading it towards fear versus just acceptance. And is there a way for people to feel empowered enough to communicate that to others? Because I think it's hard to talk about finances. And we'll definitely get to the other part that I want to really relate to this, which is our own mental health. I think that we struggle with, I'm feeling tense, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling depressed or stuff like that. So do you think that we can overcome that fear? by setting those boundaries with people or do you feel that there's ways that are more effective of doing that or things like that?
1: Um, I think there's a lot of fear around setting boundaries and there's a big stigma around money. You know, you don't want to tell people that how much money you make, you don't want to tell people how much money you, you need to spend every month for your expenses. Like you don't want to tell them that, yeah, I have this really great job for 3M and I make six figures a year, but we also have six figures of debt that we're paying off. And we pay almost all of my salary just towards paying off our debt. And, and it's something that people don't want to admit. There's some guilt. I see a lot of shame come up. Like, um, how could I have let this happen? How could I have let myself get so far in debt? There is some resentment towards, you know, this circumstance happened to me and and I had to take out debt because that was the only way to survive. And that, you know, that happened to me. That wasn't something that I went out and chose to do. And I think what can help here with setting boundaries and with overcoming this is just realizing that for starters, your money is your own. And you get to decide what you do with your money. And you also get to decide how you react to situations that happen. For example, my husband and I, this, this year, the month of March, we had to fix our van. We ha- because we have three kids, we have a van. I always said I would never be the van mom. I always wanted a truck, but here we are with three in car seats.
0: Uh, wait, they all play soccer anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, our, our town isn't big enough to have a soccer team. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's how rural we are. <laughs> and we had to buy a new oven because our oven started to spontaneously combust and it would randomly heat to 500 degrees at any given moment. So we're like, yep, uh, I already experienced one house fire in my life. So I'm not going to go through that again. And we had to fix our fir- Like it was like everything that was that could have happened in a year happened to us in the span of six days. And it was really stressful. And even when we were prepared for it, It affects your mental health, and it affects how you react to people and how you treat other people in your relationships. Now, luckily, being a financial coach and and helping people, I always want to practice what I preach. So we had an emergency fund set up, and so we could use that to mitigate the costs that were incurred from all of these expenses that we had to deal with. and And so that is that is one tip of advice too: is to always be setting money aside for an emergency fund because that will save you from a lot of mental stress if you do have a big circumstance happen.
0: It's interesting because when you were talking about that, I could. there's so many things that came to mind. One of the things is um, there's a book called Profit First for people who own their own business by Mike, and I can't pronounce his last name. And that's what he talks about. It's like, have an emergency fund, have a profit fund, have a vacation fund, create these checking accounts so that you can have that money available to you. And it really teaches that discipline. And I think that that's what you're talking about, a lot of discipline that people have to develop.
1: Yeah, I haven't read his book. I want to. It's on my list. (laughs) I have about 20 books on my list to read right now. But what I've heard, I've heard good things about it. And that was a principle that I had been living by is profit first. Don't pay for something until you have the money to pay for it without even reading it. But the only criticism I've heard of that book is The having all of those bank accounts for each of those funds is very confusing for people. And when people get confused, they get overwhelmed. When you get overwhelmed, a lot of the times we shut down. And when we shut down, it's like, okay, what can I do right now to feel good, to feel good? So they take out their credit card and they go to Gucci and they buy the latest handbag or they go buy the latest palette of makeup from whoever the most recent Kylie or or whomever the most recent makeup artist is
0: well and i and i think that what i've done with that information is absolutely i would agree with you that it gets overwhelming for a whole lot of people so i didn't start with like i think he recommends six checking accounts or something like high like that and i started off with you know one for my taxes and one for my profits and then went from there and obviously it's grown but i think that there's ways to manage it and i'm not I'm not plugging Mike at all. I, I, and I certainly, I agree with you that when I first tell people like what he says in the book, they get very overwhelmed. you're right. It creates that need of instant gratification. But, you know, I think that that plays a huge factor. The other factor that you talked about earlier was shame. I think that shame is something that we all struggle with, and not only financially, but mental health wise. You know, I, I encourage people to talk about their mental health on this show, obviously. And hopefully, and I I know that we briefly exchange on the subject, but do you think that having some, some of your own struggles with mental health can cause you to really get focused on doing the right thing eventually?
1: Yeah, I do. It comes back to, to what do you want and thinking about what, what's important to you and who, who do you want to please? Do you want to please the people outside looking in? Or do you want to please yourself and have a really great marriage and have a really great relationship with your kids and a really great friendship with the people that are close to you who respect your boundaries?
0: Yeah. And I, and I, and you know, again, just a reminder finding your way through therapy. I'm Steve sitting here with Sarah talking about money and she's a great money coach. We're having great conversation about that. Let me ask you, do you feel that maybe your own personal experience with your own struggles with stuff with mental health has caused you to be even more responsible financially, or do you, do you feel comfortable sharing any of that information?
1: Yeah, I do. So I, I have, as I mentioned before, I have three kids after each of my children, I develop postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. And as I'm only 18 months postpartum from my most recent child, I still have the lingering effects of that. And, and really going through the process of realizing that it was a problem. I didn't go in and get diagnosed until after I had my second daughter and she never slept. She would wake up four to six times a night until she was 13 months old. And finally, towards the end of those 13 months, I just wasn't acting like myself. And I was having a lot of dark thoughts and I'm like, whoa, this is not me, this is not, there is something wrong here. I have never experienced this on this level before. I maybe had experienced some depression in the past when I was a senior in high school. I lost my best friend tragically. And I think that's kind of where a lot of it stems from. So, definitely, I think, and especially living in Minnesota, we have seasonal depression here. It's bad. Like we had mentioned in the past, our winners can be sub zero temperatures for weeks on end we get the Arctic vortex come in last year. We were, we couldn't go outside our house for almost two weeks because it was 30 to 40 degrees below zero. And that, and it's really hard when you can't go out. And already the amount of sunshine we get here is so limited in the winter time. Then if you're forced to be indoors with your family for two weeks, on end, it can be very stressful. So the amount of seasonal depression around here is very high. And in my personal experience, having postpartum depression, anxiety, and then just being diagnosed with general anxiety disorder, it has led to there has been a lot of stress, and there are there is a lot of stress around financial health. And what I found was plugging in, not putting a lot of pressure on myself to to do everything and get everything done right now and have all of my ducks in a row immediately, because that that's not how it happens. You're used to instant gratification, but when you're in the process of straightening all of that out, it's not going to happen instantaneously. And coming to terms with the fact that that's okay is a huge first step. Raising awareness and just realizing that, okay, it's going to take me this many months to get all of my ducks in a row and that's okay. And and if I have a bad month or an unexpected bill pops up, that's okay. And just giving yourself some grace there because I've been doing a lot of, personal development work this year as I was working through my postpartum depression. I spent a lot of time in therapy. I spent a lot of time just doing my own emotional journaling and working through things internally.
0: Got to tell you that we're probably just like separated by geography because we have some, I, had, I didn't have postpartum depression, but I certainly struggle with seasonal affective disorder right? being in Montreal, being in Boston. We don't have a whole lot of sun in the winter time. So we end up having I don't always take it every winter, but there's winters where I call my doctor and say, look, it's just not working for me. And Mm -hmm. she she sends me medication and I have no, you know, we used to be a shame in my family. We grew up with a lot of shame in regards to mental health Mm -hmm. and nothing against them. It's just how it was. But I think they're learning to be okay, getting the help for seasonal affective disorder, learning to go get help. You know, I lost my best friend when I was 12. So I certainly relate to that part of the story. There's a lot of stuff. Like I said, we're just geographically separated because I can relate Mm -hmm. so much to a lot of the stuff that you're talking about. When we have all that, we, and, and I don't know how your family was, how do we go out and say, look, I need that boost so that I can manage the rest of my life? And I think that that's hard to do. How do we encourage people to do so?
1: Yeah. So my family is a lot, is very similar. I grew up with older parents in rural Minnesota. There wasn't a whole lot of like when I was growing up. It was oh, that mental health stuff. That's just that's just city city people problems. It's that's not something that could affect us here. And then as I was in high school, my mom came down with depression because she was involved in a bullying situation from a coworker that was so bad that you know she just couldn't take it anymore and had to go in and seek help. And then when I when I was postpartum, it was something that it just kind of pops up. And I never expected that I would be, I was healthy. I was eating good. I work out every day. I try to go get sunshine outside. And it's like, it gets to the point where you can't outhabit a chemical brain imbalance. And there's nothing wrong with that. And just coming to grips with that, like, because when I was growing up, it was, Oh, just go get more sunshine, just go work out. You'll get all of those happy hormones. Working out doesn't always make me happy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I get it.
1: <laughs> and so I was doing all the things and I just got to the point where it's like, what am I doing wrong? I am doing all of the things. I just don't know what to do. And there was nothing wrong with going in and talking to your doctor and working with them and going to therapy was, was a big help for me and just admitting to yourself that you know what, I can't outhabit a chemical brain imbalance any longer. And and I, you know, I deserve to have that level headedness that, because for me it felt like it was, it was highs and lows, it was ups and downs. It was I felt really good or I felt really shitty. And just coming to a central balance and feeling more like myself again. Because I think that's something that especially moms deal with when you have kids, it's like your whole identity shifts. And now there's this tiny little person who's the size of, you know, barely your two hands who depends on you to live. That's a lot of responsibility. That's a lot of stress.
0: Stress doesn't even cover it. If you ask me (laughs) the one thing that I also talk about, you talk about the change in identity. One of the things that I learned a long time ago from a friend of mine is that when she had her first baby, I asked her, how are you doing? And she's like, you're the first person to ask me. The baby was about six weeks old, six weeks old, roughly. And she's like, you're the first person to ask me. Everyone's asking about the baby and how the baby's doing or how is my partner t- handling it or what have you. And I think that when we think about mental health, we forget how stressful it is for a mom to handle all of that. And it's not, it's not suck it up buttercup. It's not that easy. If it was that easy, then everyone would be doing it. And when you have a chemical imbalance, it plays a huge factor in that. So do you think that one of the things of sucking up buttercup is also playing a factor in how people also manage their own mental health as well as their finances, frankly?
1: Yeah, especially, you know, I think especially for moms, because it's always just been this expectation that, oh, billions of women before me have done it. Billions of women before me, you know, have given birth unmedicated and I had to have a medicated birth. I just feel so guilty about that. And that, that was me. That was my story a little bit. And then there's just always been, oh, well, you know, you're a mom, like just deal with it. Just, you know, you have your kids, you decided to have kids and it's like, I'm not the only person in the relationship here. right? So I like what you said, because I always make a point whenever i whenever I'm chatting with a new mom, I always ask them how they're doing, how their recovery is, because it is something that gets left behind. And when you're on, especially a mental health journey. So often we say, "Oh, how are you doing?" and the answer is, "Oh, I'm fine." And then, "How are you doing?" "Oh, I'm fine." I hate that. It drives me crazy. I want to know what is on your mind. What's in your soul right now? Like what is laying heavy on your heart? I am here for you. I am supporting you. I want to help you if if you're, you know, going through something that's that's challenging and offer my support in any way that I can. And that's in my experience is not a super common perspective because I just think that people don't want To deal with other people's problems. And I think that there's something to be said there that that's part of why our culture is so hard, why it's so hard for us who have mental health problems because we're not validated in them and we don't have that support that we need to overcome them in a a tribe. You know, they always talk about the mom tribe or the girl squad. And it's like most people don't have that because we're so isolated in our own. Familial groups, our own nuclear units. That going leaving my house after five thirty p.m. Are you crazy? Like I'm already in my jammy pants. Right, I can't go out that late.
0: <laughs> right, and you know, I, I always like to when people ask, "How are you?" A guy will say "good" when they're not doing good, and a woman will say "fine" when she's not fine.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: know it's a gender stereotype; it's not absolutely true. But one of the things that I've learned to do, even in my practice. Quebec, if you ask someone from where I'm from, if you ask someone how they're doing, you want an honest answer. And if they don't give you a, wrong, a right answer, you challenge them. You're like, no, no, tell me the truth. Like, yes, I'm an American citizen now, so I can say this very without shame. That's what I kind of dislike about sometimes in the American culture is like people ask, them, How are you? Good? How are you? Good? How are you fine? Fine, fine. And we need to learn how to be much more honest about that stuff. And I even model mm-hmm. it in my sessions. If my clients ask me how I'm doing, I never say good or fine unless I am good or fine. I actually mm-hmm. answer the questions. You know, my, my uncle passed away a few weeks ago, one of my favorite uncles. And someone asked me, how are you doing? So frankly, really struggling because, and people mm-hmm. are like, well, you say that to your clients, like it's not disclosure as much as modeling. And we mm-hmm. got to model, you talk about your mom tribe, you talk about any tribe for that matter. We need to learn how to model not to answer good unless we are good. Mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciate what you said. I'm a hundred percent behind that.
1: Yeah. And what we have here is we're Minnesota nice. We don't want to put our problems on other people's plates. You just, you want to be nice, right? right? And that's kind of the, the cultural expectation, but I challenge that. And I might not be quite as verbose as yourself in verbally challenging it. But it's like, no, I really, I really want to know. I really want to know like, what, how are you really doing right now? And half the time people just give me this deer in the headlights look like, I don't know how to answer it aside from just saying that I'm fine or good.
0: And I think that that's why like by having people like you, doing it on a regular basis we will get to that point. I don't know if it's going to be necessarily in our lifetime, but I think that even teaching our kids to be truthful about their emotions is really important. And the other thing I want to mention is when you know you have a baby, never mind that you're now outnumbered 3 to 2 in your household, most people like don't understand that what you're doing for 8 to 12 hours and that's if the baby sleeps okay. All you're doing is surviving you're not you know you're, you're not looking at anything else but to survive those moments and i certainly relate to the daughter not sleeping my first daughter did not sleep a full night until 13 months in so i certainly relate to to that too and i think that that's where we need to be more mindful of because again how are you going to manage financial stress or your financial your finances period if you're so stressed and not having time to think about yourself or about your finances never mind just surviving and going on 2 hours sleep
1: yeah it's it's definitely very hard and and like you said you know how are you going to come up with an organization structure or a financial plan when you're surviving for so long of your so so much of your day and and how can you do it in a way that adds to your cup like fills up your cup instead of continually emptying me emptying it out like my money is just one more thing, one more iron in the fire, one more thing I have to deal with. So in my, in my money coaching, I use the acronym SIMPLE for my framework. So it stands for a Simplified Intentional Money Plan to Live Empowered. And really, it's just giving you... It's not easy, but it's a simple way to organize your money, to clarify what you want, and to modify the behaviors that you have in a way that empowers you to live a life that you love, to be able to go to Starbucks, to be able to take a trip to Mexico, to be able to plan for your early retirement or whatever is important to you while still being able to enjoy the life that you have. And when you, when you realize that you don't have to give up things that you love to get to where you ultimately want to be in life, I think that's a big revelation for people. And it helps to mitigate some of that stress that comes because they think when they, when they're coming to work with me, like they're not going to be able to spend any money. They're not going to be able to do anything fun. And when I, when I tell them that, no, we're going to, what are your priorities? What do you want? What's important to you? Then it's just like, all of that stress just goes away because they're like, I can still live a life that I can enjoy. I can make this happen long-term. I can make this sustainable. And there's a lot of stress that comes off right away when, when they realize that.
0: Just a reminder, listening to Finding Your Way Through Therapy. I'm Steve Bisson, sitting here with Sarah Terpstra. We're talking about money, we're talking about mental health. And I think you make a good point. And what I really liked in what you just said, in my opinion, is that, you know, again, that whole instant gratification, all or nothing thinking that people have about money. Oh, I'm going to see a financial coach or I'm going to see a financial advisor. They're going to tell me to stop spending. I've, I've met a lot of financial advisors in my life and none of them have ever said to me, no, you got to stop spending and eat ramen every night. They usually, I don't like the budget thing. I like the spending plan a whole lot better. I'll be perfectly honest and definitely, hopefully people will be contacting you in regards to a lot of that stuff. But as we kind of like wrap up here a little bit as we're we're getting close to the end. I'd love to hear more about how people can maybe reach you and talk to you and what you can do for them and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, for sure. So currently I offer a 12-week money transformation program and it's designed to help you figure out what your simple life is and what your simple plan is. And it, it offers clarity, it offers organization, and it gives you the behavior modification to be able to... Reach your goals and make it almost as easy as breathing because when you make something a habit, then it's just like you just do it automatically and it's just automatic. So saving money or putting money into retirement is just as easy as breathing at that point. So I offer, I have a a Facebook group called Simply Freedom with Money Coach Sarah. And that is where I spend the majority of my time during the week. I teach live trainings there. I answer questions. I do teach two live trainings a week we do motivational a motivational inspiration training and then we do an actual money management debt management savings spending whatever the theme of the month is our theme for october is getting ready for the holidays i love planning for the holidays and we love to to give gifts to people who are important to us and i think that especially when you're on a money journey some stress comes out when you think about the holidays because you have to buy gifts for all of these people in your life and you want to make them important and you want to make it good. And there's sometimes this pressure, like you got to spend a certain amount of money to do that. In some families, sometimes there's, oh, I got I to gotta give a better gift than my brother. I got to give a better gift than my sister. And there are ways to do that. If you can prepare early enough, you can make that happen without it being a big financial stressor. If you build that into your plan, which is something that I do. Additionally, I have a website moneycoachsarah.com where you can interact with me there. Last month, I launched my first book. So, my whole life I've wanted to be a writer. And so last month I created a ebook workbook bundle and that's called Roadmap to 1K. So, that's really designed for people who have been stuck in the paycheck to paycheck living. They want to save money, but every month something happens where they just have to dig into the savings that they had set aside and it's starting to build real wealth. So that's Roadmap to 1K. And that is something that I'm, I'm, very, I'm very proud of for being able to create that because it was kind of a life goal that I wanted to achieve. So I well, was excited. Well,
0: congratulations on writing the book. And I certainly will be linking all that in the interview notes with oh. the book and the Facebook group and your website. Lastly i guess what i would like to ask you is i think that we can all make moves in mental health to just improve ourselves for one day i think that we can do the same thing in pretty much every aspect of your life if you had one you know without selling everything that you've already said i don't want you to give the give it all away but what would be the one thing people can do financially starting today to help themselves out
1: well one thing i like to to again, make things as easy as breathing. So if you set up an automatic savings, even if it's $25 a month, $25 a week, just to get you in the habit of saving money and making that something that that you can really start to build and start to grow. And once you get aware of how much money you have left over at the end of each month, you can increase that to $250 a month or $250 a week even. And so I would say that, you know, just, taking a small amount until you get comfortable with it, until it starts to feel like you're not restricting yourself and setting up some automatic savings in that regard.
0: I will vouch for Sarah. I did not know that's the advice you're going to give, but I've done that for about six years now. I've been to Disney twice by saving that amount of money just for my trips. So that absolutely works. It's automatically out of my checking account. I don't even see it and it's increased every year. So it is the greatest way to start. So I really like that advice. So hopefully... People listening to this episode will be following that will, will follow that advice and look for stuff online that they can do and certainly contact you through Facebook, Instagram, or your website and read your book, which had I known, I would have read that book. but unfortunately, right now, I just learned about it. so hey, let's let's cut the veil, and I'm not going to pretend here. yeah, so Sarah, it's been wonderful to have you on. I can't tell you how yeah. much I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed our chat today.
0: And I hope eventually maybe we'll we'll get back together and talk, because I think this is an important thing. Mental health and money are really related, in my opinion. So looking forward to talking you to you again. I agree. So thank you and have, have a great day. You too. Well, that's the end of episode 19. I want to thank Sarah Terpstra. This was an amazing interview. I really got to know her, really loved her journey. And I ultimately really am thankful for her sharing some of the tricks right here on our podcast. And I hope that you guys go to her Facebook group. She answers there, I think twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I really encourage you to go there as well as her program. And I will link that in the show notes, really truly enjoyed talking about how mental health and money can be related. And I also really liked her story and it really was touching to me. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Episode 20. We will be talking about the difference between trauma and PTSD. So please join us for that episode. I also want to thank everyone who has liked, followed, or subscribed through all your favorite podcast providers. Please continue to do so. Please share it with others if you really truly enjoy it. And hey, do a review. That's always very good. And you can always join me on my social media accounts where I promote a lot of different things, including this podcast. And I'm at Steve Bisson LMHC on also social media. So I will see you for episode 20.